You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. Hello, podcast listeners. How are you? This is Alex Rosenberg. The knock-on effect is on a bit of a winter break, as, as we talked about last episode. We'll be back in February. Justine and I will be going back and forth with, with new ways to look at the world. Um, for now, though, for the next few weeks, we figured we'd open up the Real Vision Vault to you guys and play you some classics, some of, the, some of our best interviews and conversations that have been available to Real Vision subscribers, and we'll make the audio versions available to you over the next few weeks. So to start off with, this is one of my, really one of my favorite interviews I've ever watched. It's um, Kyle Bass, the famous hedge fund manager, sitting down and interviewing Mark Cuban. Of course, Mark Cuban is owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He's uh, a famous uh, investor, he's a famous tech entrepreneur. He's become very famous in recent years from his role on Shark Tank as well. So it's, it's a long interview. They get into a lot of topics. They actually start off by talking about Shark Tank talking about sort of why Mark Cuban participates in that show. And there's some really interesting insights about what actually goes into the decision-making that Mark makes when he's deciding whether or not he's in or out on a business on that show. So that starts with a bit of fun. And then it gets it's a very interesting conversation about passing on wealth. You know, passing on billions of dollars might sound like, like a fun thing to do, and, and I guess it is a major privilege that... that uh, probably I won't have. I don't know about uh, about you, dear listener, but it's actually very tricky. And, and both Kyle and Mark talk about how to to show the world to their kids without, you know, jeopardizing their their mindset and, and making them spoiled. So that's a that's a very interesting kind of uh, back and forth between two very successful people that normally we we wouldn't get to hear. And then, you know, there, there are a lot of other topics they get into. Uh, they talk about a bit about politics, touch briefly on some of what's going on with China, some of what's going on with the Fed, crypto, tech stocks. I will say, uh, it's important to note, this interview was filmed at the beginning of November of last year, 2017. So it's not going to be the hottest uh, hottest investment picks exactly. But I think it's still worthwhile to hear what what each of them you know see in these stocks and what they're looking for in their investments. And actually, I, I think a lot of what Mark Cuban says about Amazon in particular as uh, a nonstop startup, as he calls it, is is a, it's a very interesting framework that you'll want to hear. They also talk a lot and talk at length about AI, how AI will reframe the investment world, the economy, uh, who stands to lose and, and who stands to gain. So all in all, it's a, it's a really fascinating conversation. It's about an hour long. Uh, so sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this conversation between Kyle Bass and Mark Cuban. First of all, Mark, thanks thanks for coming. You know, this is something that uh, 
uh, it's just going to be a conversation. And, and I've got so many questions for you, and I'm sure and vice you, versa. you, you yeah. might you might have a few. But uh, you know, as we sit here in Dallas, it's fun to um, not be in Europe and not be in San Francisco and not be in these other places where so many people uh, feel like all of the innovation is. And you've done some amazing, yeah. innovative things here in this city. And um, you're you're well respected and admired here, and, and including by me, by some, yeah, that was all, but, yeah. <laughs> by some. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to I wanted to ask you a few questions, uh, and Raoul from uh, from Real Vision here really wanted to wanted to. It's funny when Raoul and I talked, he he said, you know, I want to know this, this, and this, and I said, perfect, because that's what I want to know too. Far away, <laughs> so, I'm ready. So I want to start with let's start with first of all what you do for Shark Tank. You know, we we talked offline a little bit about. Uh, let's say some of the people that follow you, uh, I, I know, think that you do Shark Tank uh, to make money and and yeah. and potentially, you know, partner with people. And 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 really, it's it's a labor of love. And and more importantly, what I know is it's something that you do uh, to foster creativity and innovation and the American American dream, essentially. No question. So t- I mean, tell us tell us about that. The whole reason I do the show, and now we're going into our ninth season, um, Sunday nights on ABC. Um, it's purely because it sends the message that the American dream is alive and well. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have people from all walks of life, from all parts of the country come in with sometimes good, really, you know, impressive ideas and sometimes just very basic, simple ideas. Um, but the bigger message it sends to, to kids, to families is that if this person from the middle of Iowa or from Athens, Texas, Texas can walk in and have an idea and a business they've started from scratch, so can you. And if they can walk in and formulate a presentation and get an investment from us, you can go out and get an investment and be successful as well, with or without the investment. And you know, the show has gone gotten to the point now where it's the number one show on television watched by families together. Mm-hmm. I literally will walk down the street. I, I had this happen two weeks ago. This lady said, Mark, Mark, Mark. I mean, I didn't know her, obviously. And she's right. like, I just gotta tell you, my son sells slime because of you. I'm like, you sell slime? And I have an eight-year-old son, so I know exactly what she's talking about, right? Right. And so she makes, he, um, he makes a slime in the kitchen, right? And goes to his fifth or sixth grade class, whatever it is, and sells it. And she's like, we watch Shark Tank. We get all, all the ideas. He understands cost of goods sold and, making something at a, and selling something at a profit. And it's all because of Shark Tank. I had another lady yesterday. Um, I was doing um, a presentation somewhere. And she was like, you're my MBA. I don't feel like we've got to go. I just mm. watch you guys because there's always insights that I get. And she works with small businesses that I wouldn't otherwise get. That's why I do the show. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it's when we think about our educational institutions, one thing that I, when I was growing up, no one ever taught me how to balance a checkbook. No, no one ever taught me how to think about business in high school. Ever. And, I, and I literally in college, they don't. I remember I was in... And I was a junior in high school, Mount Lebanon High School in Pittsburgh, and I wasn't allowed to take the economics, the one economics class, because I had to be a senior. Uh-huh. So I literally started taking classes at night at the University of Pittsburgh and decided not to go back for my senior year because they wouldn't let me take a finance or business class in high school. Uh-huh. And you know, and that then ended up getting me to Indiana University. But um, yeah, I agree. We we do even to this day we do such a poor job of educating kids not only about how to manage their own finances, but how, how to see the world and, and um, understand the impact of business or in, understand their place within a business when they get a job. Yeah, and it, so I see this, I see the fire and the drive in you that you probably see in the entrepreneurs you invest with. Without question. And um, you probably don't invest with people that don't have that fire. 
it, you know, sometimes you miss it, right? They come in and they're rehearsed. And um, the good news is we get to do due diligence after the fact, after we uh, agree to do something. And so we can pick up some of them, um, some of our mistakes and cut them. But yeah, you know, there's the old saying, sometimes you invest in the horse and sometimes you invest in the jockey. And I try to get them both. Ah. Um, but you're right. If, if you don't have that fire, if you don't have that thirst to learn and that, that you know, desire to compete, mm -hmm. then you're not going to be successful. And you see it a lot on Shark Tank because it's an arduous part process just to get on the show. Okay. You know, there's more than 50,000 people a season that apply. Every year they have open auditions around the country and then they whittled it down to the 230 we see when, while we're filming. And of those, even 20, 25% don't make it on air. Do some of the silliest Shark Tank um, pitches get allowed in just, just to kind of complete TV. the spectrum? Yeah, because it's TV, right? So I invested in a guy. So when I first did the show, um, I came on as a guest seven years ago, and there was a guy that, that um, did a little dance, I want to draw a cat for you, right? And okay. I gave him $25,000 for a third of his company, and all we did was draw stick figures of cats. <laughs> and he charged ten dollars a pop, you know, and people were buying them. And so, literally, I got probably a fifty percent return on my twenty-five thousand dollars investment. And I also, on top of that, I got hired to do ten cats at a thousand dollars a piece by somebody because the silliness of it is what sold. Right. But I made the investment not because I wanted to draw cats, right? Right. But because he's really good at SEO. And so sometimes you see somebody who has, you know, doesn't really know how to manifest their skill set. Right. So you start with them here and we did some things there and then we took his creativity and pushed him into other areas, you know, and now he's on to bigger and better things, which is great by me. That's amazing. So, yeah, it, that, that that's a great story because it takes an artist that has no idea how to run a business and, and took then, you and, and Yeah, and uh, then you realize he realized he he's got together. the skill set, right? Yeah. And sometimes it goes the other way. I had I had one deal. Again, at the beginning, I didn't know how long the show would last. So I was doing deals like who cares, right? Right. right. But there was this one lady um, and she made chocolate covered pretzels and they were good, right? And they sold here in Neiman's and other places. I thought, well, I can help her. Neiman's is in Dallas, um, headquartered here. And we go and I said, you know what, when this airs, we have to have X amount of inventory and let's go over your pricing. We're like, cost us $14 to make, cost us, we sell for 29. That's a great margin for us. And then we'll charge shipping on top of that because they had to be cool to be shipped. Right. Right. And so I try to stay active, you know, and, and involved. And so I started getting cash flow reports almost immediately and cash was going straight down. I'm like, what happened? She goes, I decided to give free shipping. I'm like, how much is your shipping? $15? <laughs> Not a great business lady. That's awesome. Needless to say, well, she's still in business, but she's out of business. She just doesn't know it, right? All right. So let's move into the, the investing side of sure. things. Um, you know, you you were the founder and creator of Broadcast.com. Uh -huh. You sold it to Yahoo. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you've always been a tech innovator, and you are to this day, I know, from the conversations I have with you. Um, but how... The question I have for you is, as you think about your, um, your family, the Cuban family, and, and the legacy and, the, and the, um, the, the assets that you've built, how do you allocate uh, those assets? I know you own the Mavericks, it's a mm -hmm. giant chunk. Yep. Uh, it's worth a lot, worth a lot of, of money. Uh, but um, how do you think about allocating assets to different asset classes? Or, or do you think I, I, from I don't the top really, down? I don't think from the top down anymore. Okay. Right? So in my mind, I had a number I wanted to get to. Yes. I had a certain amount of liquidity that I felt like I needed okay. that would cover generations. Mm -hmm. Right? And after, once I got past that level, you, you go through that push-pull where you say, because part of you just wants to keep on proving you can just keep on making more. Right? Yeah. And then the other side was, well, now I have kids. 
Yes. You know, and what's what's my greater return? You know, my time with them. What's my greater return doing um, philanthropic things? What's my greater return? You know, Shark Tank's not the best return from a financial perspective on my time. Yep. And so I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'll dabble in different things because it's fun and interesting to me. And I'll, I'm, I'm good enough that I know I'll get a return. But I'm not worried. Like as a family office, I've got X billions of dollars in assets. I need to make 7, 9, 15%. Right. I'm disappointed. Got it. I'm, I'm not at that point. So now it's more... You know, what do I think is interesting? Hmm. Where, I'll, what's my optionality? Yeah. Right. What can I learn from? Because you know, I'm, I'm into tech, and what do I think can be impactful? Interesting. And that it's an interesting thought. I'm going to go one place that you might not want to go because I'm not. Trying. I'll go anywhere. That's I okay. So when you think about when you think about handing some of your generational wealth to your kids, or I guess handing's not the right right. right it's good. I'm not going to live forever. Let's put it that way. Mo- mo- <laughs> moving some of the wealth to to your children. Right. How how do you think about what's enough? Uh, is it, is it your, is your, your entire estate? Is there mm-hmm. is there a number that you think? I know Warren Buffett's number. I think is ten million. Yeah, mine was. So when I wrote my will initially, it was five. Okay. And not until they were thirty. Okay. Right. So that I wanted them to go through life. And I know my wife. You know, if if she outlives me, would probably will. Um, <laughs> You know, she'll she'll fill in the blanks like uh-huh. she does today, right? Right. Like my kids want money today. It's like, how are you going to earn it? Uh-huh. I'm not that dad that says, here's a present, right? Here's here's a bank account. Here's a, you know, here's a debit card. Just use it, and you know, or whatever. No, here's your Amazon account. Not at all. It's like you want something, you have to earn it. I don't, you know, it might be doing math. Yeah. Like with my young, my eight-year-old is math for money. Mm. You have to answer math questions to earn a dollar or five dollars. With my middle daughter, daughter, it's reading a, a non-school book. Mm. So I'll give her a history book or a biography, and she'll make twenty dollars if she's if it's over three hundred pages, mm. she can make more. Right. Um, and then my oldest daughter is a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> my fourteen-year-old, that's a whole different beast. All those things worked up until this year. Um, so. We're working through trying to figure out what kind of jobs she can do. Right. So the point being that I want them to recognize, like I did growing up, that that there's there's you have to earn what you're going to get, and that it's just not going to be waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And so whether that amount is five million, like I have now, or ten million when they get to thirty, then you know who knows we can adjust. Right. But it's I think now is really where it matters and and the habits that I get them into now are important. Yeah, it's something I struggle with myself about um, I I probably like you, like you I haven't talked to you about your your kind of adolescent life, but I had a job every day since I was 13. Oh yeah, absolutely. I didn't go on summer vacations. I worked. <laughs> I worked every day for $3.05 with, an hour. My first job was $1.60 an hour. Mine was 3.05. Yep, and I remember um, when the minimum wage went up to 3.05. It went 2.40 then 3.05. Exactly right. Yep. And and I struggle with my children because I want to be with them. I don't want them to have a job. Right. <laughs> I want to go view the world with them. Yep. And, um, and and that's you know and I it, it's hard right because yeah. on one hand you want them exposed to all these different things and to take advantage of your success my success but on, on the same time you want them to ha- have the same foundation that we had exactly right and so I, I you know my decision has always been you've got to work mm-hmm. right you're not gonna you know you may come on the private plane right yeah. and we may go all these places right. and it may be a dream come true for probably not for them because they're kind of used to it right? <laughs> right, right you know it's like walking on a commercial airline for the first time where's our pilot who are these people <laughs> it's it's hard that balance is really difficult it really um, is it to, really is yeah, it's it's fun to 
to hear how you how you interact. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge, and and you get a sense over time whether your kids are grounded or not, or whether yeah. they, you know. And you and I tell to. them, yeah, and I tell them, I don't want you to be. You know, my biggest fear after your health is I don't want you to be an entitled jerk. That's right. Right. If I if I think you have a sense of entitlement, because my oldest daughter slips into that from time to time. Mm-hmm. She um she called me up one time. We were on vacation, and um she was with some of her friends. Dad, what? We're in a restaurant. Okay, I forgot to bring money. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before too. I call yeah, my but, friends. But yeah, but it's okay. We can put it on our friends, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah, so I've I've got some work to do, but it it is a challenge. All right. Thank you. Let's um let's get into I know you and I have had a um an online back and forth about uh, what's going on. I guess let's start with central banks and let's sure. get let's get into ICOs and digital currencies because I think that'll That'll be what what a lot It'll of people are really interested in, and I'm really interested in it too. Yeah. So, how do you feel? How do you think about what central banks are doing, and what they've done over the last few years, and and how our world kind of sits today financially? How do you, uh, how do I as look Mark at it? Cuban, look at this, and then how do you think about? Uh, then we'll get into how you think about the, the digital assets. Context is everything. Yeah. Right? So when you're going through a great recession, all you have is theory and history. And I think um, our Federal Reserve and you know globally, really, they, they followed the block and tackling rules, right? They reduced interest rates and did QE, increased liquidity. And for the most part, it works, right? And now we, we've reached a point now where there's, there's become a division because the, the increase in value of assets has been focused on so few assets, if you will, that most people don't own. Maybe some people have benefited from their house growing up in value um, until 2008, and then a lot of it's come back if you were able to retain it. But the, the, the wealth divide has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and I think we're kind of in a catch-22 now where you don't know what's going to happen next with the economy. We're trying to normalize rates globally. The global economy continue is growing faster now than it has in a long time. You've got China who overspent, and I know you've been a, a, had a lot of concern about what's going on over there. And so it remains to be seen what happens there. And they're such a big part of our, our economy. So you've got all these competing interests while an economy is growing. And so I'm not an economist, but you would think you're starting to see normalization here and interest rates trickle up, which is fine because they're still under you know historic norms, right? And what Draghi's doing, um, I think he's he's right because he's got you want that pop to continue over there. You don't want to see a global economy start to go into recession, yeah. particularly what's going on in Spain and things that are happening in, in Italy. <clears throat> and then you and we then everybody's got to hedge against China, mm-hmm. right? Because if they start to tank even a little bit, um, and who knows what their actual growth rates are. Right, but if they tank even a little bit, and you don't have a hedge, and you don't have some some leverage uh, still available, to, we're all in trouble, right? Because they can drag us all down. So I'm not opposed to things that are happening. I know there's some people that just want things normalized right now, just get rates up right now. I'm like, if if it's not, fix it a little bit at a time. Yeah. So th- that's where I stand on it. Yeah, the incrementalism of the of yeah. all the Federal Reserve banks is is warranted. Yeah. Um, you know whether rates should have ever gone negative is is uh, is left to to your imagination. But. Yeah, and and look, it, the money went where the money should go at that point in time. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not like it, it. You know, we became more global, and there because of that. Yeah, and and there there's a lot of good things to be said from that. Yeah, so uh, when we think about you know global cash balances today are the largest they've ever been. So you know, when I think about what happened is the first amount 
the first QE that happened in the US and Europe and, and Bank of Japan, Bank of England, had to fill a hole, right? There was, there was a hole uh, given the global financial crisis. Global financial institutions were insolvent. They had to print that money. No they question. had to inject it no question. in the banks. Uh, and that's something that you and I would have done if we were running these institutions. No Whether or not we agree with expanding Fed balance sheets, we, we'd have to do it. So the, the second part was uh, the part that felt good, uh, the part where we started to see some growth right. and started to see uh, cash getting distributed. And the interesting thing is that it was Fed policy was unintentionally distributive to the wealthy. Yeah, because the wealthy could uh, the only the people assets, that could yeah. use leverage and assets, and they don't spend it right away. And because of the drop in the stock market, people who could afford to lease got out of the market. Right. And because they lost their homes, so many people lost their homes, whatever savings you had, you used to try to save your house and to try to you know, reimagine your, your life, if you will, and that's recreate exactly your right. right. And so you got a greater disparity in, in, in standards of living, and, and that's where we are today. And, and now we're at this point where, so this is my view, is we're at this point where the feel-good part of the printing is is now maybe moving into the third phase. And that third phase is, when I look at global cash balances, um, they're about 110% of global GDP. They've never been that high in the history 110%? of the world. 110%? Yeah, so wow. they're almost $90 trillion of cash, <laughs> okay? And then if you include sovereign debt below 1% yield, which I consider, call it a cash, cash substitute, right? it's another 60% of global GDP. So historically, that, so today that number is 160, 170% together. Uh -huh. Historically, that number has been 40%. And how much of that is in commercial entities versus um, sovereign? Oh, Not so, just debt, but sovereign cash versus commercial entities. So you, like if you're talking about sovereign wealth, yeah, uh, that's where the majority of it is, right? There's, um, there's call it um, $6 trillion, $7 trillion in sovereign wealth. And what do you think is in commercial, the apples of the world and just park cash? I actually don't know how it breaks down between... The because, and, and the reason I ask is because, you know, is, you know, by definition, if you can get a greater return than you can earn just on your cash, you should do it. Right. And it's not like it hasn't been easy to borrow money. Right. So if. Right. You're saying I know where you're going. You're saying there's a corresponding liability because Apple has cash, but they've borrowed and, and uh, it's, it's, to, to the tax arbitrage. There's the tax arbitrage. Uh, I think I think that's a, a not a large percentage of the total. global. Well, no, no. Balance. What I was going more to that is. People are looking at what's the value of all that cash, right? Wow. What's the impact? And if it was truly impactful, right, it would have been invested. Yeah. Right? And yeah. because you could borrow, even if you couldn't move, yeah. right? You could borrow against whatever money you have overseas. Here, Hewlett Packard, Apple, they all do, mm -hmm. right? So in terms of the impact of all that cash, the question is, can it change anything? Will it change behavior if it's repatriated or rates go up? Um, I don't think it will. Yeah. I, I think there's a there's a I think you're exactly right, but the fact that it exists out there, and you know, let's say at the Milken conference this year, um, I sat in a room with um, five trillion of cash, and I was an it's invited crazy. guest. Just sit, I was I was a, crazy, I was a wallflower, um, and just had to stay quiet. And they were talking about how they're going to invest their money. And they're not going to buy stocks. Right. They're not going to buy bonds at one percent or two percent. Right. Um, they're going to keep buying infrastructure projects and ports and they are going to invest in hard assets. That's how they're all thinking. The point I'm trying to make here is, is what in your life has gone down in price in the last 10, 20, 30 years? Oh, nothing. <laughs> right? I mean, the value maybe, of cash maybe, certain... maybe data plans, right? Yeah. When you look at the CPI. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, anything digitally, right. Anything yeah. digital data. And, and truly, technology has been innovate, no so question. innovational that we've had good deflation. Right. But I think now, 
uh, when you look at the price of just about anything in life, it's going up. My view. See, I would disagree, right? I think artificial would. intelligence is going to change everything. Everything, okay. 180 degrees. Okay. I've been in the tech business. I started selling PCs in 1982, right? I started selling local area networks. We were one of the first companies, my, my first company, start, my first startup in 1983. Okay. We started, you know, I sold that and then I started trading just tech. I started a hedge fund, started just trading tech stocks, sold that within 90 days. Um, and then we started st uh, streaming. Then the first high. All these things have happened that have changed how we do business, changed how we lived our lives, changed everything, right? Um, the internet. But what we're going to see with artificial intelligence dwarfs all of that. And you think it'll be deflationary? And yes, because there's going to because be... Because it displaces jobs? A lot of jobs. Okay. Displaces, dis well, that's displaces, not good. Displaces, well, there, you can make arguments, right? It's not a question of how it plays out over 100 years. Mm. It's a question of how it plays out over 10 years, yeah. 20 years, right? And who knows what exactly, you know. But I can tell you which, you know, at the beginning, which jobs are going to be displaced. I can tell you the real estate's going to be displaced. Um, there's, you know, I've talked to major companies that they're looking at, they're asking me, Mark, we're going to have all this extra real estate in all these towns. What are we going to do with it? Do you have any ideas? And, and I'm talking to them about, you Because know, they're going to be uh, centralizing their, their operations? Well, just fewer people. Fewer people, yeah. Yeah, just fewer people. So the concept of you calling in to make an appointment to have somebody pick up your car to get your oil changed, right? Someone will still drive to get your car, but there's going to be no people in transacting any of it. That's terrible. I mean, it's, it it's is great, what it is. It's great and terrible, right? It just is what right? it is, is, right? This is, this is Dickens. It's, yeah, it's just, it is what it cities. is. Yeah, it is what it is, right? But, but look back. So if you look back at China's ascension in the WTO, call it 2001, mm -hmm. and you look at that 10 years later, which Lighthizer did in, in a right. congressional report, you know, four and a half million jobs were gone in the Rust Belt in mm -hmm. the first four or five years. Mm -hmm. And when you look at a heat map today of the opioid crisis, it's the Rust Belt. No question. And truthfully, if you look at Trump, okay, we're not going to go into politics. I'm going <laughs> to make, well, make one statement <laughs> that, is, that is just an observation uh -huh. of the election. The, the place where he won right, was the places. upper Mississippi River Delta that's always been blue, and it right. flipped red because right. they lost their jobs. They lost their jobs. And job. they were hoping. Or, yeah, there was no right. Hope, right? And that's, that's the challenge right now. And I don't think people fully understand the but impact. But what of, happens when AI displaces more people? Well, so so I, I've seen the first run of the movie. Right. Talk to me about the sequel because it doesn't make me it doesn't make me excited. So about So then the America. question. So when I sit down with these companies, they're not we're not there just to commiserate how bad things are going to be. Okay. The question is, what do we do? Okay. Right. So I've spent way too much time um, teaching myself about machine learning, neural networks, deep learning, writing code. Right. Teaching myself Python just because I want to get a hands-on experience in this. Right. Right. So when we have a conversation, I may not be able to build all of it, but I can understand, can understand it. Yeah, yeah, I can understand it. Um, and so when you talk about, we went through this transition where we started off with spreadsheets, it was what if, right? So you have all these people here playing what if, and you postulate all these different variables, right? And you build models, and then you, you have different plugs, then you look at your models, compare them to reality, right? But whatever fits on a spreadsheet, and if you get smarter people, they think of better variables, and then they, you have better probabilities based off of what they plug in when you play what if, right? Yep. That's the way you've been doing it since you started, that's the way I've been doing it since I started. What machine language does, it says, okay, we can take a lot more variables right. than you can ever think take of. Take all right? of them. Right. We can take all of them <laughs> yeah. and then say, if this happened, then there's this probability that this will happen. That's only the beginning, 
right? Then we start getting into something called generative artificial intelligence where it starts to think, yeah. right? And for the most part now, not all the way through, you still have to label everything. Here's all my variables, right? But then when you give it to it and you say, based off of these variables that are labeled as such, um, here's an unlimited number of opportunities, right? And so based off of those, we're going to create biases and weights for them all and let you come up with some conclusion. Let it give you a variety of conclusions and then you decide. Going forward, you won't have to label anything, right? But until then, if, if I wanted to do an analysis of who knows what, right? How to build, how to furnish buildings across the world the most cost effectively. And part of it was trying to label all anything that can hold water, right? So it's easy to say that's a cup, but you're going to need somebody to say, okay, this is also a receptacle for water in some place that has nothing, right? Yeah. This can be a receptacle for water, right? Somebody stand with their mouth open. Th that requires image labeling and variable definition. Those are the types of jobs that are going to be available over the next five, 10 years that didn't exist before. Now, they're kind of like Amazon warehouse jobs. They're brutal, <laughs> right? And it's not anything negative towards Amazon. It's just, it's going to be make good work. Right. And then we're also going to have our own Tennessee Valley Authority, right? Where they had make good um, public works. We're going to have make good jobs where we may use programs like AmeriCorps just to walk walk kids to school or just to read kids. We may have to tax robots, right? Whatever it may be because... You just say tax robots? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there's going to be displacement. There's right. going to be huge displacement. And as AI gets smarter, the, the delta is going to get greater until hopefully there'll be new jobs created that cross back over. Mm. But there's going to be this displacement period that... So when you say all assets are starting to go back up, right? I think, you know, if you look at the, the Fortune 500, the S&P, whatever, and you look at total employment from those companies, it's not going up. You're right. It's You're going right. straight down. And there's still, there's still wage stagnation, which, is, which has been perplexing central bankers, right? And, and it shouldn't be perplexing. We're, ba we're back to kind of full employment of those that are actively searching for jobs, like right. not not the not the U, U six number, the U right. three number, right. and um, uh, but we haven't seen real we haven't seen wage gains Here, except for in a few skilled areas we've seen. Well, yeah, at the gains. high end, yeah. you, we can't pay enough to get. So you know, right. when I talk about within the artificial intelligence realm, right. there's a company in China paying million dollar bonuses, yeah, to get the best graduates. I mean, or best professors for that matter, right? They're both, pulling them yeah. out of schools. Exactly right. Yeah. And so Vladimir Putin says the winner in AI controls the world. Yeah. China puts together a future plan saying, you know, whoever dominates in AI and they're subsidizing, you know, Tencent, Alibaba, et cetera. Yeah. Right. And that's right. They're, they're, that's, this they know it's portion. a race. It is a race. We cut our Office of Technology and Science to one person who was an assistant to Peter Thiel. That's where we stand. So when we talk about infrastructure jobs, you know, robots are built in Germany and they're getting bought by Chinese companies in some respects. And I think some Japanese companies bought as well. We don't build robots here very well. Mm -hmm. Right. I just invested in my first robotics company, Hirebotics, that puts robots into companies um, there in Kansas City, I think it is now. Um, but they they lease and rent and sell robots into all these different types of circumstances to replace people. Huh. Right, but I had to learn. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's going to happen with or without me. But I wanted to learn what was going on. Those building up a robotics um, industry here, investing in our AI industry here, 
That's the new infrastructure. Yeah. Because if we don't do it and China or Russia win those wars, we're SOL. Right. We're, we're out of luck, right? And so when we talk about the price of assets going up, when, when if you're hiring, you know, if you're talking about intellectual assets, if you're hiring, like we were just saying, the price is skyrocketing. People are, you know, Montreal has become the, the center of the universe for computer vision. Um, it's not U.S.-based schools that are dominating any longer in those areas. We've got a lot of smart kids mm -hmm. at MIT, all different schools, right? And, and kids are starting to realize it's a place for them to go. And I'm out there telling people the first trillionaire is going to come from somebody who, who comes up with something Figures really unique yeah. in, in AI. But when I think about, so as I sit here and, and I don't have the knowledge you have about AI, I try to read everything I can, yeah, but, but, do, uh, but um, I don't. I don't know it nearly as well as you. Yeah, if you go into my my bedroom, uh -huh. there's a stack of machine learning for dummies, <laughs> neural networks for no lie, right? <laughs> I have a couple of those books. I, uh, I'm not too uh, proud to, proud I, to read you those know, I books. started with Pedro Dominguez's book, and I yeah. just I can't even get all the way through it. So. No, the Master Algorithm is a great yeah. book to start with. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but as I sit here as someone who follows macroeconomics, uh -huh. and I just the calculus uh, in in what you're telling me today is. You're seeing, you're going to see a lot more AI. You're going to see um, generative and, and general AI, which is kind of the holy grail, I think, That's is what the, I think everyone's after. It's many years off. Um, but if we're going to see that, and we're going to see, what you're telling me is there's going to be massively increased productivity because of AI, and therefore robotics and things mm -hmm. uh, are going to be inserted into the global yep. Fortune 1000. Um, that does mean fewer jobs. Uh, and when I think about that from a mathematical perspective, Increased productivity, increased AI, fewer jobs. We still have population growth. Me as the macroeconomist is thinking, the answer there is not a good one. That means many more wards of the state. Yeah, and that's the reality. That's just reality. Right. You, you, right? No Larger opioid crisis, many more wards of the state. Unless you recognize it's coming. No, you're right. Right. right? It's, it's, it's a difficult plan. It's, it's difficult, right? Yeah. But it's a reality. And so, you know, when I look at, like, like I just mentioned, right? So if you, you think of the Tennessee Valley Authority, that's where we are. Hmm. Whether we like it or not, that's what's going to happen. Okay. But instead of creating make good jobs to fix a pothole, yeah. because those are transient. And you can even make the argument that the increased traffic prior to that <laughs> reduces. I don't buy that argument, yeah. but I hear but, you. But know, um, yeah, there's always two different economists, right? Yeah. Um, but the, the point being that if we're going to, when, when we had infrastructure projects that, connected cities, right? That increased, create, increased commerce significantly and that, that led to our boom, right? Yeah. You know, the baby boomer generation, right? We did just win a war though. And we, yeah, <laughs> that helped too, right? But all those together, right? When you all connected, those, yeah, you connected Dallas to Athens, boom. Texas, that, yeah. that opened the door for Athens, Texas, right? Yeah. Um, if we just connect, if we just fix what's already connected, mm. we're not going to see a boom. We're going to spend a trillion dollars regardless of who sub, um, spends it right? We're not going to get a boom. We'll, we'll get a pop and it'll come right back down. Right. Because now you can drive your car faster. Maybe it's even an autonomous truck that goes back and forth, but it's still the same goods. The trucks are still the same size, et cetera, et cetera. If we invest in robotics and AI, that could be stair step so that we could truly see a boom. The question is, how do you share that wealth? Right now, historically, I, I'm a libertarian. Yeah. The thought of sharing wealth was abhorrent to me. Right. But you've got everything's contextual. Right, because the cost of of instability and the cost of social social unrest is always a lot more expensive 
than the cost of social programs. That's right. And so if you're just looking at the variables and you're looking at it as a math equation, right, and you say riots, yeah. right? Yeah. Political instability because you have opioid crisis. Drug epidemic. Expanding. Yeah. yeah. Or make good jobs. Yeah. Which would you rather have? How do you make good jobs if you're taking all the jobs away? Well, you no, know, you make good as in TVA where you're creating jobs. Okay. Right? Yeah. Where if it's, you know, it may be paying somebody, let's just say we define a working wage as $15 an hour, $30,000 a year, and I'm paying, you know, a 62-year-old individual to walk a kid to school or to read to them when yeah. they get home. You see school. it in Japan already. Right? Yeah. You see people shining uh, escalators because they don't have much to do. Yeah. Right? I mean, and there's no crime there. There's, yeah, I mean, it's just right. like... Life is a lot. Of, well, I wouldn't say easier, but they're, they, have they have other challenges. Population. Yeah, that, I wonder they have if we have, I wonder if we have to go into a population decline to make it work. Well, there, that, there's evidence bigger... that says that we're we're starting to decline, and if we yeah. don't have additional immigration, we're going to have bigger problems as well. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so we're going to need people. Look, we're going to get to. In my opinion, we're going to get to a point where decisions are made individually on arbitrage of time. Right, we'll value our time. You'll value your time. That's the whole uber economy, right? Where people say, what's it worth? We do that now. We do. What's, what, what's it worth for me versus I can hire somebody, right? And that somebody can be for 10 minutes, that somebody can be for 10 hours. It could be for two seconds. Like one, a couple of my companies, we have scripts now for Mechanical Turk on Amazon where it might cost us a penny to label things. Really? Oh, it's crazy, right? I, I invested in the company because the guy was a computer vision genius. All he does is hand puppets. So you do like this, you know, hand puppets like you do with your kids when right. you're little, right? right? Only it digitizes it using AI because he has to write computer vision and AI scripts that say, okay, this is a knuckle, here's a second knuckle, right, here's right. a thumb, right? And I'm going to recognize it. Shows things. it spatially. Yeah. Right. And all that stuff is advanced computer vision. Um, but it all goes back to, you know, hiring people based off the value of their time. When I make decisions, build versus buy, robotics are now part of the decision. You know, it's, you know, What's the most cost-effective way? What's going to give me the best return? What's going to be the path of least resistance for me effectively? Yeah. And now it's not just, okay, who can I hire? It's, All right. what can I hire? What can I let's, put in place? Let's move into uh, digital currencies sure. and, 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 and ICOs. You know, you've been an innovator in the space. I've been a spectator. No, no, I don't know if I've been an innovator, but I've been more spectator. But I, yeah, I've I'm been involved. a spectator. I'm, I, I'd love to get your view and, and those are two separate and distinct categories. So, yeah. so I'd love to get your, your view on I, eat, uh, both of those categories separately. And so there are actually three, right? So there's blockchain. Right, right? okay, so technology, right? right. And, and I'm a big fan of blockchain. I am too. I, t I take that as a given. So right. that, okay. I left we'll blockchain that out. That's a given. That's fine. Um, right. So, the, so then the, there's, there's the decentralized tokens. Decentralized network is, right. is perfect. Yeah. Um, it now, is. now there's challenges, right? But that leads into the fact, can, can yes. Bitcoin or Ethereum or any, any of them be currencies? Right. right, and they can't be because you can't transact right now, right? If they were truly a currencies, you wouldn't try to you wouldn't try to convert them or value them based off of other currencies. Yeah, right. They would just be intrinsic, um, and you can only transact. I think there's 372,000 transactions. A I forget the exact number, but there's per a, minute, yeah. yeah, and or per second, right? per, whatever it is, yeah, whatever it is, yeah. and. Now they're having to do these segments where they're they're branching off, right, to try to increase more, and they're arguing about how to do it. Yep. So there's there's their their own central bank issues, right? That's right. Right. So it's going to be very difficult for it to be a currency when the the time and the expense of doing a transaction is a hundred times what you can do over Visa or Mastercard. Right. Right. Um, so that's another issue. So 
then what is Bitcoin, Ethereum? What's their intrinsic value? It's just, it's a collectible. It's just a digital asset that's a it's collectible. It's a collectible, yeah. right? And in this particular case, it's, it's a brilliant collectible um, that's probably more like art than baseball cards, stamps, or coins, right? Because there's a finite amount that are gonna be made. Yeah. Right, there's 21.9 million Bitcoins that are gonna be made. And if enough people hold and don't sell, and enough people borrow to buy, just like we saw in the stock market. Because look, as much as a share of stock is ownership in a company, that's the all-time lie, right? <laughs> you have no authority, no ownership. Unless you control it. Yeah, unless you're the controlling shareholder, right? Or, or you're, you're willing to spend a lot to make a lot of noise. place where it's not a lie is in the U.S., the capital structure means something. Mm -hmm. uh, I know the bankruptcy courts here sometimes are the Wild West, but yeah. you know, if you, if you were to liquidate a company in theory, you'd, you would uh, liquidate you would get the senior assets. lenders first, then the junior lenders, then the equity. But you, you actually do have a claim. By definition. Yeah. Yes, by definition. But you but have in, no control. But in practice, yeah. right, the number of public companies, since that's what's relevant, right? Yeah. Number of public companies that are going bankrupt is relatively small. The number of people who are buying shares of stock, even though it's a decline. Look, part you can make the argument that part of the reason the stock market has continued to go up so dramatically is not just because of easy money, but because the number of public companies has de declined. That's right. When we went public in 1998, there were 8,000 approaching 9,000 public companies. Now there's 3,500. And 360 of the S&P 500 are engaged in corporate buybacks. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. So the number of shares outstanding it just keeps going down. Keeps on. Look at IBM, right? They make yeah. a living of financial engineering, that right? Yeah. And so, yeah. So there's scarcity. So it's point being scarcity sells, yes. right? Right. And there's no greater defined scarcity than Bitcoin and Ethereum. Do you own any of the yeah. of the? Okay. Yeah. So uh, do, do you own which ones do you own? I own I own an ETN in Sweden for Bitcoin. Sure. So there's a Swedish ETN because I want a little liquidity. Yes. Um, and it's a hassle to try to, to just buy it. And you've got to make an investment in time and effort to do it. I, I, don't I tried it. And, and, it's a pain and, in the ass. And, and, yeah. and, 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 I, and I failed, truthfully, yeah. uh, to buy a small amount. Yeah. Um, by the time I got my account open, it had moved so much that I <laughs> said, you know, I'm just it. not yeah. going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, even, I, even for fun, I'm not going to do I it. I own like one Bitcoin from like 10 years ago or whatever oh, it gosh. was, right? Yeah. Which is great now. But but yeah, I so I just, once, once I find out about this ETN, as opposed to an ETF, obviously, right? Yep. Right. Um, it's liquid, it's fast, it, it marks to market correctly, yes. right? And so it's growing, so I liked it. Does it trade at a premium to Bitcoin's value? It trades right on top of it. Yeah, okay. within pennies. And, and then how do, you, how do you think about, so that's the digital currency. You don't own any of the other digital no. currencies. Okay, they're just interesting to right. you. Okay, and then when you move into ICOs, right. how do you, so how do you think about ICOs? So I, you mentioned to me it's a seat license. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. It's, um, ICOs tokens really are, opportunity there's two there's two different ways to look at ICOs right um, one as a quote-unquote investment vehicle which I don't right again that's just a scarcity play yeah. it, it's like it's like an IPO in some respects it's just if the floats small and, and you can convince enough people on the roadshow to buy it's going up right and whether or not there's any liquidity and there's all kinds of uncertainty on the exchanges and what they can and can't trade and what's legit and what's not so I've avoided the speculative side of it um, I've been involved in two of them. One is Unicoin, which does um, um, E-Trade. It's a company, U um, Unicorn, U-N-I-K-R-N, that does um, 
legal sports betting for esports and other sports outside the United States. Okay. They literally moved to Australia to, to get legal. And I've been an investor in there for years. And they did an ICO that I participated in, but I signed an agreement saying I wouldn't sell any, all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't a trade for me. Yep. And then I have another one, Mercury Protocol, that we're actually using it to, to create a messaging pro. It's a messaging protocol that allows for um, authentication, you distribute authentication and um, the ability to participate in a social network in a way that allows you to earn more credits, right? So, okay. so as by participation, by participation, right? Okay. So you can you can you be rewarded by your fellow social networking um, members because this person, you know, Kyle's great. An so, right, you're an active participant. So I'm going to reward you know, and that in turn gives you a level of authentication and quality that a troll isn't going to get like they would on Twitter. So the whole idea is to eliminate trolls, to have a better quality handle. And, but that, that's a token, yep. right? And so it's a protocol that goes out and any new um, social networking software can use it. Any existing one can integrate it. So if Twitter wanted to integrate or if other, somebody else wanted to integrate, they could. Yeah. And so as a protocol, it, we're trying to take advantage of the networking effect. And that's just getting ready to come out. But again, I'll, I'll invest there, or I'll, investment's not the right word. I'm um, buying tokens, <laughs> right? I'm buying tokens yes. there that I'll use as part of the protocol. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, the comments that I made uh, that that uh, began our conversation on this were, you know, I, I read one, I read one offering document about us, a, uh, a coin that that uh, was going to reserve, it was going to pay for research for whether or not a synthetic rhino horn was an aphrodisiac, <laughs> um, you know, it's when I when I you know I'm a student of history and I I've read you know I I, sure. I I've looked at bubbles and things Absolutely. throughout my throughout From my life tulips and my studies to ZZ and, best, yeah, and you know there's there's a tulip ICO I don't know if you're familiar I with this seen one. That one so the tulip ICO is essentially a way for the people to snub Bitcoin uh, skeptics. Um, uh, it's it's a way you can send a token, a, a tulip token to right, someone that's sub Bitcoin to say, you see, see it's yeah, working. It's worth it. Yeah. You know, it's just some of these things are so silly. But that happens with everything, right? It does. But but Mark, I, I, again, I worry about it from a regulatory perspective, and I'm no I'm question. not a regulator, but you know, they've raised we've ICOs have raised three billion really this year. That's it was crazy. two billion going into September. So uh, as we sit here today, we're in mid October, roughly. Um, and and it's, yeah, it's only escalated. Nine hundred million dollars was raised in September, and <laughs> and when I think about it, I love the innovative uh, entrepreneurial spirit. I love the fact that many of these things are actually going to do really well. Hopefully, yeah. But there's so many of them that but are just it, completely it, stupid. Isn't and it 1995 all over again? It is. Yeah. It is. But but it's interesting when I look at the SEC and the CFTC. Uh -huh. uh, there's no knowing. So I know some people in. In various places that tell me that at the SEC, each office wants to keep their functional relevance and they want to, to um, it. regulate it themselves. And I think there are six or seven regional offices or maybe more. And then the CFTC, of course, uh, is a com regulates commodities. Right. SEC regulates securities. Right. They're trying to determine whether it's a security or a commodity and who's going to regulate it. And the smart ones realize it's not a security. They make it so it's not a security, right? It's the dumb ones that are going to get shut down. Right, right. But I guess my point is that they need to get on this. Oh, no, They no need question. to be regulating There's, it right now. Yeah, and they put some things out. It'll be good for, it'll be good for America. It'll be good for people. I agree 100%. Yeah, uh, agree so, 100%. That the, so that the crooks don't. The problem is it's the FCC. 
Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to. I don't want to point any figure, fingers being in the business that I'm in. But, right. Yeah. But someone's got to get on this, Agreed. and they need to centralize it. And someone at the top needs to say. You are the czar. You're going to control this. It's not going to be six different people in six different offices. Unfortunately, there's nobody at the top that <laughs> yeah. has any understanding of I it. We're not going in politics. We're not going there. It's just obvious. But it is obvious. So um, I'd, I'd love to kind of conclude by, by getting to, to the point where I'd love to know, in your mind, in the last, call it, six to 12 months, what are the most interesting investments you've made that you can talk about? Sure. And then where do you think, I, I, I get it, do you think AI is the place to be in the next decade? Mm-hmm. Uh, but where do you think, if you're allocating capital today, if you're an investor, where would you be investing, uh, let's say, free cash if you were, again, if you weren't in the position you're in now where right. you're just investing in interesting things? Right. If you well, were yeah, thinking well, if about I had to get a return, pure where would, economics, right. where would you be looking to invest? Depends on what my expertise would be. Okay. Right. I mean, I always tell people to focus on what you know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, just put it in an SBX cheap fund, right? Yep. Right. And maybe now I might say, okay, put 5% in Bitcoin or Ethereum, yep. just, uh, you know, red or black. Yep. Right. Because it's still, it's like artwork, but it's, it, 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 it has it's a upside. finite amount of artwork. There's a finite amount of artwork, yeah. right? Or baseball cards. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, I would just tell people an SPX one because I think, you know, the job of America is still, you know, business. And I think whatever benefits will come from AI or whatever is going to filter into. Yeah. And I think, you know, the FANG stocks are going to crush it. My biggest public holding is Amazon. Okay. I think, you know, and we can talk a little bit about valuations there because people go up and down about the valuation. The way I look at those companies are they're the world's greatest startups with liquidity. Yeah. Right. If you look at them as just a public company where you want to see what the P.E. ratio is and what the discounted cash value, you're never going to get it. Right. You're never going to see it. If you say Jeff Bezos, Reed Hastings, those are my two biggest holdings. But even to a lesser extent, Tim Cook, I'm not as sold on Apple necessarily, but they're trying to get there. But Google as well and Facebook as well. They're they're just nonstop startups. They're they're in a war and you can just see the, the market value accumulating to them because of that. So. If you look at, and I don't know the exact numbers you made, the amount of VC invested in tech uh-huh. in any given year. And I have my option of putting in the next Uber, right? Or the next Lyft or whatever versus Amazon, where I get someone I think is smarter and better. And already and, has a scale. And always has scale and already has liquidity. Yeah. Amazon's the world's greatest startup. Netflix is the world's greatest next Which world. makes it harder to innovate. If you were, if you were I think Mark, you still kick Mark their Cuban. Ass. Starting all over again, I still think you can still kick their ass, right? Because, you do? Yes. Okay. Because I think on the margin, you can't, even at that scale, even with all the AI that they both use, they're still on the margin places to make money where they're inefficient. Because it's still, it's, it's still vertical and it still takes time to get to the, to the edges. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities for small companies to come in. And you're seeing a lot of that now. Like you see growth hacks on Kickstarter, where I have one of my companies, a Shark Tank company, that all they do, their whole entire business now, is just releasing products on Kickstarter, delivering them, and then going on to the next product. Okay. And it's just a pure growth hack. There's other companies that they measure what's selling the best on Amazon. And then they go out and buy those products, brand them, and sell just on Amazon. And buy Amazon, it's just its own little ecosystem where, where kids... I tried to give this kid some money, right? Literally, because he was so good at it. Uh-huh. Didn't need it. He was already making, you know, a million dollars a year working an hour a day just b- by tracking Amazon. Really? Yeah. And it's just, 
so you can be smart because they're they're so big. Mm-hmm. But you see Amazon. It's, it's fascinating to watch Amazon. So now, like they're doing chips. They're they're OEMing their own version of chips, their own teas, their own. So wherever they see categories where they can manufacture and sell, they're they're competing with their their own sources of product right now. Sure, sure. And that's going to be very scary. Yeah. You know, um, they just they just released a sportswear line that yeah. they're OEMing. That um, had a material impact on on Nike, Under Armour. Oh yeah, and the without rest question, and more so. Lululemon. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, I do this all the time when I'm giving talks. I'm like, how many people shop on Amazon? Everybody raises their hand because right. I wonder how many people know anybody that works at Amazon. How many people have ever even talked to somebody that they think? Right. So you you talk about the value of assets over time, right? And but the leverageable opportunities there. And I talked to somebody at Google. Now this was a, over a year ago. Like Mark, we used AI in our ad serving and increased our revenues by nine billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy all the things that are changing and the leverage points. And now, all that said, if I had expertise in AI and medical, any area within medicine, right? I invested in this twenty-two-year-old kid who has his um, um, master's degree and he's a doctor, a medical doctor, and there, he found these sensors that are able to track the electrical um, pulses that every organ in our body um, emits. So our heart emits an electrical pulse, and with these sensors, he's able to capture that. And he captured it. He captures them now into um, an old fi- old-fashioned wave file. But now he runs them through um, deep learning network, right. and with ninety-eight point whatever percent and growing accuracy, they can determine if you have one of five ailments. Um, heart ailments, and they're going to go next organ, next organ, and keep on expanding. It's just that's going to make healthcare really interesting. Yeah. Change the dynamics of it. Yeah. now. It becomes a question and a business opportunity for me to say, okay, how do you change healthcare? Yeah, right. And so I'm having something I put together scored by two different economists: one a progressive economist, one a conservative economist, and just saying, okay, what if we took insurance companies out of healthcare altogether? What if we self-insured as a country? Right. Now all of a sudden, when you have a direct connection with everybody, we might have to we might have to go to the single payer system, right? I, not even given, single payer, given right? Obamacare. Yeah, because not even single payer, because with single payer, there's going to be time after time where you have to increase the debt ceiling, and that becomes a life or death decision. And so, because of all the, it's all tax payer driven, right? So I think if if what we're we're calling a working title is single guarantor, uh-huh. which means, you know, we'll if you want to go to college, we'll guarantee and loan for you, right? If you want to buy a house, we'll guarantee a loan for you. If you want to get healthy, you have to go borrow it from a payday loan company if you can't afford it or put it on your credit card. Right. There's no reason why we couldn't guarantee it as a country and just a means test of repayment. And if you mean test repayment and make people responsible for their own health care, even if it's not 100%, right? right? But just some responsibility, they'll make better decisions. Yeah. And because you have a direct connection to them, you can incent them to go to a gym, to go get checked, you know, to go visit a doctor, to take their medication, things we can't do now because the whole job of an insurance company is to obfuscate and, and complicate everything because and to grow the total pie because if their revenues don't keep on growing, their profits don't grow. Right. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there, whether big or large, to, to change the game. I think AI's got to be a core component of that. And I don't think we've stagnated at all in terms of of being creative and innovative and and going in new directions. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Mark, thanks very much. It's fun. For, uh, I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, it was, it was great. And yeah. I hope uh, I hope Raul and the team loves it. And, I hope so, too. Uh, and uh, <laughs> no, you just and I, send me for, a copy. For, for, me, for me, it was awesome. So yeah, I enjoyed uh, it, too. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. Thanks. You know, we have to keep on having our breakfast. Yeah, we, we shall. Yeah. Thank, thank, thanks a thanks, lot. Kyle. We had a great discussion today with, uh, with Mark Cuban talking about the various, um, uh, let's say, global macro points of view that he may have, as well as his views on... Uh, how much money he is he's going to leave to his kids and what the what the right amounts might be and might not be and, and how he thinks about philanthropy and and uh, investing his own assets and whether he does top up or top down it was really a great conversation and uh, concluded with his views on initial coin offerings and uh, and cryptocurrencies which uh, again is an open debate and uh, hopefully uh, the viewers will appreciate uh, his answers You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.